listener production. Okay, let's start by just taking a deep breath. Welcome to Come Out Wherever You Are. This is a safe space for curious people to learn more about the coming out experience. So congratulations, you're now a part of our community. And because this is a podcast about the coming out experience, it's only fair that I go first. My name is Sean Zepps, and I am gay. I first came out in early 2000 when I was, okay, I'm going to do quick math. I was 12 years old, and I last came out, I last came out yesterday, literally, uh, to one of my neighbors when I was putting out the bins, weirdly enough. Today, we are going to be welcoming a new member to the Come Out Wherever You Are community, and her name is Patricia. Patricia, would you introduce yourself, and if you could, tell me when you first came out, and then the last time you came out. My name is Patricia Carvellis. I'm queer, or a lesbian, or just a middle-aged mum, depends what mood I'm in. I'm in my early 40s, and I've been out since I was 18. Uh, the first time I came out to a person was to probably my best friend who I was in love with in my teens. Um, that was probably the first time I said to somebody, I think I'm a bit queer. And she already was, so that was helpful. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the last time I came out was, I think, on, in, at a shop on the weekend, shopping with my daughter, where the woman at the shop made the assumption, like many people do, um, that, you know, my husband was at home and I had the kids. Of course, <laughs> and, um, of course. And I had to make that quick decision about mm. whether I do a correct or whether I just go, yeah, my husband's at home. Patricia Carvelis is one of the most recognizable faces and voices in Australian media. She has covered federal politics for two decades at the Australian newspaper Sky News, and now she's at the ABC. Every weekday, you can watch her on afternoon briefings on ABC TV, and then just a few hours later, she is a busy woman. You can hear her on Radio National Drive. Before we get started, here is what you need to know about Patricia. She's Greek. She lost both of her parents when she was just a kid, and she was raised by her two older sisters and grandparents. Uh, She has two primary school-age daughters with her long-term partner, and she is a massive George Michael fan. Huge. Now, back to Patricia. I want to take a a big step back and ask you a, a formative question, which is, I'm not even sure if you'll be able to answer it. When do you first remember learning that gay or lesbian was even a thing? I think I do remember, actually. Mm. Um, I have older siblings and my eldest sister, who is also kind of like my legal guardian for lots of complex reasons, um, worked in the beauty industry and had a lot of gay men around her. Mm. And so I think I was like maybe 12, 13 at that sort of coming of age age and... I became really aware that these men were gay and that they were in same-sex relationships and I found it absolutely fascinating and became quickly obsessed with that. And um, now with the benefit of hindsight, I kind of understand probably why I was so interested in people who were much older than me and had, you know, probably more in common with me than I was aware of at that time. Ooh, you had that internal tingling that was like, there's something fascinating here. Yeah, I was like, what's going on here? This mm. seems interesting. So you, you talk about your older siblings. Do you remember if your family had an opinion about gay people? I mean, you say that your sister worked in an industry that is filled to the brim with gay people. So I imagine she's accepting. But earlier on in your life, were there people around you saying, this is how you should feel about LGBTQI+. Yeah, I remember talking to lots of people in my family and outside, in my friendship groups. And if I ever suggested that maybe I was same-sex attracted, which I did to some people who I thought I could trust, uh, almost everybody uniformly would say to me, oh, you're going to have a hard life. Mm. It's going to be a hard life if you go and decide to go down that road. And I found that made me not want to come out. 
And then, of course, as the years go on, you think, no, the hard life is that you even said that. The hard bit is that you thought that was okay to say that. Well, exactly. And I'm imagining that a lot of those people were a little bit older. And so their understanding of what it meant to have a hard life at that time would have been colored by AIDS, death, uh, difficulty, ridicule, right? Yeah. I reckon that's a, it's a really fascinating question. And even though the, the idea of you will have a hard life, I find, you know, really offensive if I can be really blunt. Mm. I also understand where it comes from and what it, where it comes from is a place of uh, very troubled, but, but it does come from a place of troubled love mm. where uh, I think those around you who are older or do care about you look at the world and what they're really saying is that the world is homophobic mm. and they are correct. Instead of the bit that uh, queer people, of course, and everyone listening to this hopefully will get this, or please come with me on this, we say, right, no, 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 you need to make the world not unkind to us. Mm. You need to change the world with us. But that that comment about, you know, it will be a hard life is founded in reality, which is sometimes it is a hard life. Mm. I don't, I still think today it can be a hard life. I've had times where it is a very hard life where I've found I am the only one in a parent group who is queer or I am the only one that has to explain my family. I find that sometimes difficult. I don't enjoy it all the time. So we need to be honest about that and say, well, what can we do to make that better? Not just for me because, you know, who cares about me, but just for all of us, for our kids and for our communities because that's no one should have to feel like, you know, their difference is something that is an uncomfortable for them. And mm. sometimes I have felt that way. During your coming out uh, just the other day, right, that moment where you're really forced into, is today a day I'm going to be an advocate or is today a day I'm just going to brush this conversation off and move through my day? Because like you said, life is hard enough for us. I'm interested in, in the moment when you first started to come out to people, you said a couple friends that you really trusted, and they come back with a, it's going to be a hard life. You're being gracious, you're being empathetic, you understand why they said it that way. Walk me back into those moments, and what do you wish people had said? I wish people had said, wow, that was amazing that you could tell me that. How brave. Um, what can I do to help you? Mm. Oh, that would have been nice, huh? No, but some people did. Some people did. It was not everybody who yeah. was negative towards me. When I told, particularly one of my sisters, both both were great, um, but one who, who um, you know, is straight but has the most queer mind I've ever met in terms of the way she understands the world mm. and challenges heteronormativity, um, when I talked to her about it, that's what she said to me. So, you know, she said to me, great, good. Of course, mm. let's let's be happy. So, you know, I, I'm lucky that I had a range of responses. Yeah, they were not all negative, and I also had a strong sense of self. I also had a strong sense of what was right, and I, before even realizing I was gay um, or queer, because mine wasn't so binary. Mm. I wasn't like, oh my god. You know, I don't have one of those kind of, uh, I was 10 and I was repulsed by boys. I had crushes on boys. I had relationships with boys. That wasn't the point. Mm. I fell in love with girls. The, the, it, for me, it was about, it's, 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 I think sometimes we talk about um, queerness in just very sexual terms. And while sexuality is, of course, key, um, there is so much more to love and relationships. And I always fell in love with girls in a way I didn't with boys. But I was, had boyfriends that I was kind of into and thought were cool. Like, I did, it's not like I was sort of repulsed by any male that walked past me. It wasn't the point. It was much deeper. But um, having not such a binary idea about sexuality, I think, will, I look at young people now and I think, I wish I had a bit of what they're doing. Oh, totally. <laughs> My generation, rather than this, are you in or are you out? Mm which is also deeply problematic. It's just not everyone, you know, not everyone realises that they're gay when they're six. 
not everyone, you know, it's not a switch on or a switch off moment for everyone. Sexuality lives, uh, you know, it's not a binary proposition for everybody. And I think that is one of the great things I see being challenged by younger people now. Oh, I couldn't agree with you more. And you're basically through the modern lens, quite comfortable saying that you are queer. Back then, was that even a word that people were using or were people? Oh, yeah. Oh, okay, I'm great. not that old. <laughs> yeah. In, in fact, it was our word of our era um, in the 90s. I I personally didn't really like it very much. I think I had some stigma around it. Now, we were meant to reclaim it, but still, you know, the negative of what queer was sometimes yeah. felt. Uh, I also found it a bit ambiguous. I used to really love the word lesbian. I still use it. Mm. Um so it's still not it's still in my lexicon, but queer probably better defines me um, now. But but yeah, queer was very much. I love the term pansexual now. Actually, I'm I'm loving it now. I still feel a bit probably generationally past it. Like I don't think I really can pull off pansexual. Like when I tell my friends who are the same age as me, I'm feeling a bit pansexual, they all laugh at me and go, "Please." <laughs> and I'm like, "What?" I'm not 20. So, yeah, no, I'm not 20. Um, but I, I think I think instead of I used to be quite, um, you know, I used to feel like we had to be limited about our language. Now I think language like that gives us more opportunity and gives more of us a chance to be on that continuum, mm. which I think ultimately we are all on. Absolutely. I think the biggest aha moment for me over the course of the last five years is that there's a lot of people like you and I who are coming out through multiple different eras and different stages of their lives, and they're learning new terms, new understanding. They're able to articulate feelings that they've had internally out into the world. And so people might come out as lesbian in the 90s uh, and have always felt that it was more about the, the heart and the love that they felt, uh, mm. you know, the person that they fell in love with, only to find out what pansexuality is 10 years, 20 years after coming out and going, oh, wait a second, I have to come out all over again a whole new swoop yep. of of coming out experiences that can already be traumatic. And you're actually bringing up a point. I know you're doing it in a playful way. But when people get used to you, they put you in a box. They're comfortable with that box. They oh, come to terms with who you are. And then you go, I'm actually this. They go, ah, ha, 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 ha. No, you're not. I already decided who you were. Yeah, totally. That happens a lot. And I think um, it is incumbent on heterosexual people to sometimes who identify as heterosexual and think of themselves that way. It, ha it happens a lot in my life where people say, this is what a lesbian is. And and I I say, no, I'm a lesbian. And that's that you just have not described mm. <laughs> how I feel or who, who I am. Um, and I still will always, I mean, like lesbian is a, a word I will always identify with or a, a language I will always use because to me it is very assertively female too and I am... Um, a feminist and uh, a lot of my identity is also about being unashamedly attracted to women. There were people when you came out, when you were younger, who didn't, uh, who maybe weren't as receptive and positive as others. For younger people who might be worried about that, did they come around? Did they get the chance to see you um, living a happy, fulfilled life? I'm interested in that kind of full circle moment of of people learning to come to terms with something different? Ah, oh, look, <laughs> it's a different world now. All of the original homophobes, I mean, I had a, someone who broke friends with me when I came out, actually broke friends with me, like mm. broke. <laughs> Let's just think about that. Yeah. Like a friend who was a real friend who said, we can't be friends because you're a lesbian. Wow. And I was like, what? Yeah, yeah. Um, when I think about that, my head hurts. Like, what? Um, and that was really hurtful to me, of course. I had other friends because it was pretty popular, <laughs> so I was fine. But I was hurt. I thought, wow. Um, yes, yeah, so she's been friendly since and told me, wow, your life's amazing. Um, and I haven't addressed it with her. I haven't addressed it with these people because I, I figure they know, don't they? I, don't, I, haven't, I honestly have no self -awareness. idea. Self-awareness? Yeah, I mean, you would hope so. <laughs> At the end of the day... Yeah. I could go up to them and go, you know what you said to me when I was 18, but do I care? I don't care. I'm living my best life. I don't care. Mm. I always knew I'd live my best life. I had no, no doubt about it. I actually felt a bit sad for them. I thought that's a bit, even at the time, I thought that's sad. Imagine, I'm so fun. <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, I feel like a lot of 18-year-olds, I mean, you are painting quite a unique picture and it is 
not a shock to me that you became as successful as you have because you clearly had a deep understanding of who you were and some pride in that. There are a lot of people who at 18, when you get rejected, when a friend says, we cannot be friends anymore, or a family member uh, says, you're a sinner, goodbye, or you get kicked out of your home, right? That's still occurring all around the globe. They just don't Mm -hmm. have the adult perspective that you seemed to have had at 18. And I'm really interested in, if you are in those environments, how you even can get out there and seek that strength. What tools or resources if you do not have self-worth and belief and pride are you even going to be able to kind of seek out and give you that strength you need to find allies you need to find mentors you need to join groups i joined a queer support group when i was 18 now back then you you got the gay newspaper and you saw the little ad like I'm not that old, but I'm old enough that it wasn't all on the internet. But I actually think the internet has been revolutionary for its democratising, you know, the fact that you can now find your people a lot quicker than I did. I had to wait for that Tuesday meeting in three weeks that was listed in the, you know, the, oh God, it was kind of complicated. But I did because I knew that I had to go find my people. I just knew it. I knew I had to talk to people who felt the same way. Even if I had support from my sisters they were straight. I still needed to find people who understood what it was like to walk in my shoes. And so people have to be brave and go and find those supports. And they're there. They are everywhere. We are a really visible community. It's not some sort of alleyway where you have to sort of know secret handshake. It's everywhere. You know, it's not about going out there and trying to date. It's actually finding mentors and supporters and people who will champion you. And like a lot of, most gay people know that, you know, we, we, we're famous for making unofficial families, aren't we? Mm. So when our families don't play the role of family, my, luckily my biological family has, I'm in a lucky little world and, you know, we've got intergenerational gayness now. I have a gay nephew, my sister's son, like we're, we're doing well. We we represent, right? Mm. Like we are, you know, we are going to keep that going in this family. So I've got in my own nuclear family, my own biological family, that. But for pe- I have friends whose family rejects them and they have gay family. <laughs> they have gay Christmas. Yep. Um, community members who play that role. And we are really tight. We look after each other. Was that um, a fundamental part of your journey was finding people outside of your nuclear family? Do you think it's critical to find people who are a part of our community? I, I think it's critical for anyone in a minority group to find their people. It's really important to un- to find people who understand your journey. There's a relatability you cannot get, even from the most loving person who does not have that lived experience. I think it's really actually fundamental mm. to self and to understanding that this is, <laughs> this is who, you know, who we are. So I think you have to do that and you have to make yourself do it. You have to be brave. And and I do think about 18-year-old me finding that newspaper and going to that meeting and that actually I just think, wow, <laughs> what was going on there? Mm. Like obviously I just knew that I needed, I needed my people. Now I do have a question about that early formative years when you're starting to come out to people, um, 18, 19, 20, that time in your life. As a gay man myself, I know that there are stereotypes that people have about the queer community. And when I came out, I started to explore them, what it would look like to dress a certain way or talk a specific way. Am I supposed to like musical theater? Like you go down these stereotypical paths, mainly because you're young and you're finding yourself. I'm really interested for you because you really seem like you've kind of forged your own path. When you came out or started to come out, did you feel that you had to explore stereotypical definitions of what it meant to be queer? Did you go to specific spaces? Did you explore dressing a specific way? Was that a part of your journey? Well, you're obviously very good at what you're doing because I usually don't talk about this, but you've taken me down this path, which could be a rabbit hole for me. Absolutely. So I realised, you know, I was same-sex attracted at 16. Mm. Didn't really start being more out about it till I was 18. I used to think that was a very big lag because two years when you're 16 to 18 feels like about 200 years. (laughs) But now with the benefit of ageing, I think that was a drop, 
you know, um, yep. <laughs> the ocean. That was nothing. In yeah. fact, I think, wow, geez, I'm speedy. <laughs> I really worked that out. Um, totally. You know, tortured some boyfriends along the way, which I occasionally send text message to apologise to. But, I, I, you know, definitely worked that out pretty quickly and then was like, okay, won't do this anymore. Sorry. Um, you know, because I did that you know, okay, I come out and I first identified as bisexual okay. because I was like, oh yeah, that's very briefly, you know, because I still had some boyfriends and oh, I was confused by how to define that. Now anyone knows that that doesn't matter. You can have relationships with men, but still be a lesbian. Like it's, <laughs> I know that now as an adult, yes. but at that stage I felt like I had to use labels mm. that, you know, pin me down. Anyway, when I realized, um, it's fine. I'm just happy to be same-sex attracted and I'm not going to torture myself anymore by 18, um, you know, so old. Uh, I, uh, I, I, I'm a very feminine woman generally, right? Like that's that's always been, you know, I went to Johnny Young Talent School. I'm a jazzy hands kind of girl. I'm, yes. I'm big hair. I'm like I'm not, I am not a butch lesbian and I never was, but I did not feel like I f- I was part, I could fit into the queer community at all when I first entered it and Mm. I didn't know how to be cool with lesbians and I really wasn't, my whole kind of persona seemed very popular with 20-year-old boys but very not popular with anyone gay and this was a big issue for me. So I went super butch. I shaved my hair, I changed my outfits, I went uber butch, I went next level butch and can I say... I was so popular. Oh. Overnight, I was like a gay sensation. And um, <laughs> and I, I loved that feeling because I was like, wow, the, you know, queer people see me and I wanted to be seen because I felt invisible because I often looked so straight. And I did that for like a year. And then my sisters quietly told me that, did I really? I mean, it's fine if I wanted to explore this look. They were never, my, I've got a great like little ecosystem of family in my life. Mm. They were good, but they knew that wasn't me. They knew I was performing the role of lesbian, yeah? Mm. I was performing um, very actively and I was not comfortable in my skin. And um, because this was not, I am not a, I am not a butch <laughs> lesbian. I do, that's mm. not who I am, right? Yeah. And um, so I didn't really know how to reconcile it. And then I just realised that I just needed to be my full self. And so I grew my hair back and I started wearing skirts again and I continued to be a lesbian. Mm, it didn't change. <laughs> and then wow. I found lesbians who liked me mm. because I got older and I met more people and I realised I had a market, I had my people, yes. and then I was okay. And I have been absolutely the same since, what, 20 years or something now. Um, you know, obviously different different versions of myself, but pretty much I'm a femme lesbian. That's what I am. Like, you know, I, 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 I pass as straight a lot. People think I'm straight because people don't understand that we come in different shapes and sizes and have different images. So that's why I feel like I often have to correct people because they think I'm straight. Um, because I have long hair mm. and I'm ethnic and I seem like I must have, you know, a nice banker husband, but I don't. Does it upset you when you're in a coffee shop with your children and someone says, where's your husband? Uh, it doesn't upset me at all, but it upsets my children. Okay. So that question you asked about the shop, right? Mm. Um, my eldest daughter's nearly 12 and she doesn't like it it really upsets her um, because it doesn't doesn't reflect the world she lives in yeah. and it doesn't reflect her family. And so I now correct those things politely because, you know, people are just making assumptions. They don't mean to be impolite. I do it politely and I do it for her. And I know that she she sees it as she's a very fierce, strong girl. She sees it as a sign of my pride, which, of course, gives her pride because if I'm like, oh, yeah, that's fine. So once I let it go, it's happened so many times, sure. and she raised it with me. She said, why didn't you tell that woman that you don't have a husband? I said, oh, who can be bothered? I'm yeah. barely, I'm not going to see her again. And she said, no, mum, you need you need to say. that's." And I said, yeah, but I didn't want to embarrass her, right, because sure. that would embarrass her because it does embarrass people. Mm. <laughs> so now I very politely go, hey, yeah, she's got another mother, and then people look mortified. Oh, I'm sorry. And I'm like, that's okay. You weren't to know. Just thought I'd mention it. Is that your experience that most of the time in Australia, when you do correct someone, that they're mortified? Or do you still 
or have you experienced people who were like, ooh, well, that's weird? I have experienced people who are like, oh, that's weird. They don't say it, but you can see it on their face. But mostly, no, I would say mostly. And it's about where you hang out, right? Let's not pretend Australia is some sort of, you know, monocultural place. Mm. I do go, you know, some people call it the bubble. Well, I will go to places where I feel like I don't get discriminated against. (laughs) That's what I do. Mm. And why shouldn't I? I'm with like young children. I don't want them to feel the stigma where everyone's staring at their family. So they go to school. We are the only same-sex um, couple uh, family in their class, both of their classes actually, mm. but the school generally has people who are very um, progressive about social issues and none of their friends have particularly said anything weird. They're very understanding. Occasionally my kids have had very um, weird questions, but they've been able to handle that on their own without any of my help. In fact, I've offered to help and I've been told that they don't need my assistance. Oh, wow. So I yeah, think they might have that sorted. So I have three and a half year old twin toddlers. Obviously that age, they are not really having that conversation with people. We've had two fellow uh, students ask, where is your mom? And Stella and Cooper mm-hmm. at that age where it's just black and white for them. They're like, I don't have a mom. I have two dads. Did you guys have to have conversations earlier on through the educational process of prepping teachers or trying to keep them safe. Did you have to fix their coming out story? I have intervened a couple of times, not many, because they had their they they from birth have known their own story. Everyone's got their own versions, like whatever you know. We all have we make our families in different ways. We have a known donor who is kind of plays an uncle role in their in their life. So mm. you know they will describe him as their biological father, who they know, but he doesn't parent them, and we parent them. And they under, they've understood that, like all of the research shows, as you would know, kids need to understand from a very early age their full story mm. and they deserve it and they have a right to, and that is my philosophy. So my kids have always known every detail of their life <laughs> and I've always said to them, it is their story to share, not mine, So because it's about them. Yeah. So they will tell people what they like because it's their story. Like it's not for me to go and tell anyone anything because mm. they're – it's actually all about them. Um, so they always have done that. A couple of times um, m- my youngest daughter has been, you know, f- there were a couple of kids that were like, you can't have two mums and she was very pragmatic because she's like that and she's super cool. She was like, not only can I, I do. <laughs> um, so, yeah, mm. like I actually do. That's actually the fact of my household. Um, so I had to sort of quietly go to a couple of teachers and say, hey, it might be worth having that conversation that all families come in, you know, different shapes and sizes. Yes. <laughs> uh, and the school's great, of course. They were like, of course, yes, we will. And I'm like, you know, they're, they're little, <laughs> right? But um, I think everyone should feel like they're an equal member of that classroom and – yeah, my my kids really don't like me <laughs> putting my nose in anything. Sure. They really like to advocate for themselves, um, which is good because mm. uh, they've got to advocate for themselves forever, right? Absolutely. Um, and I think the experience of being the child of um, gay people is really different to the experience of being gay. Mm. And doesn't mean that the child of gay people might not also then later be gay, but at this stage, uh, their experience is actually very different to mine. So I I ask for them to navigate that pathway because I I don't know. We don't have an equal experience. I have not been the child of same-sex parents. Yeah. I don't know. They know. They're experiencing it every day, Mm. that feeling of being different to everyone else. I personally think as someone who also grew up really different for different reasons, that difference is incredibly empowering and can drive you and can teach you about what it f- what it feels like to be at the margins. I don't see it as a negative experience. I think it's a- an experience of understanding the fullness of existence. So I have never worried about them. On the contrary, I think it is um, amazing to be, you know, loved the way they have been, to be put on earth in, in such a considered, deliberate way. I want to take a pivot to your career because you're talking so openly with us now and you have been speaking openly um, in, your, in your role as a journalist about your truth. Historically, my husband is a journalist. I know that in the past, journalists are really told to kind of keep 
their personal lives out of the profession, or at least it was a modern belief that you needed to be an impartial observer. Was that your experience early on in your career? Did you believe that you could ever talk about being a lesbian on television? I was reluctant to, um, and it wasn't a directive from anyone, but I was personally reluctant to because um, whenever you make a decision like that, you also have to, um, you know, you have to deal with the the ramifications of that decision. And the ramifications, like everything, are varied. You will get support, and I've got lots of support, and you will get a lot of homophobic abuse. And sometimes you do not feel like receiving homophobic abuse. Mm. You think, I don't want any of the homophobic abuse today. (laughs) I don't want to hear that. Um, I'm pretty strong. I'm in my early 40s. I'm pretty, you know, fierce. But, you know, I I too get affected by homophobic abuse because I'm human. Um, And that's the way discrimination works. It gets under your skin and in your head. And I don't want it in my head because I'm pretty proud of who I am. Mm. I have no shame about who I am. I think who I am is how I was meant to be. So um, I have thought very much about it. And I think the benefit of getting older is um, that you have also more power um, and more confidence to talk about things in a way because, you you know, you're aware that you can deal with the fallout. So... How I am now is different to how I was when I was 20 is the short and sure. you know, short way of saying it. Do you remember the first time you came out? Was it planned or did it just happen? It uh, just happened. And I don't remember it like deli- – no, I don't. I can't give you that because coming out is, you know, pronouns, right? Yep. It's when you are talking um, – in the public sphere and instead of being really careful not to reveal when you refer to partner that it's a female, then I probably just started letting it slip much more often because I thought, well, you know, I mean, I've been out publicly. It's just about whether you can figure it out. (laughs) I mean, the funniest thing for me is, I don't know if you ever get this, but I mean, you probably wouldn't so much, but I do. I will every single night on my radio show or on my, you know, social media have someone who goes, oh my God, I didn't know you were gay. Did you come out? (laughs) And when I get asked, did I come out? I just find it really funny because it's been like 23 years or something like that. (laughs) It's like, it's been, it's a really long time. I didn't just come out. What happened is that you just noticed. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) And that's cool, but it's really been a long time. Mm. Um, So, yeah, I find the coming out a bit of a funny idea um, if that has been your whole life. It's so tricky because there's basically two entirely separate camps when it comes to, I guess, journalism broadly, which is people who bring themselves to the role. So they present as uh, Patricia or my husband, Josh Zepps, like people who present and bring themselves. And it's usually based off of the, the show format where you're allowed to kind of talk about the nuances of your day and your life, like uh, breakfast or even drive. And then there are separate ro- jobs, I imagine, that it's just more impartial journalism where you're just reporting on the news. And I wonder in your career, as you've had different roles, uh, especially the one that you have now, if that framework, those conversations just allow for more opportunities to talk about your life. Yeah, I mean, my shows do, format is important, okay? So in the formats of my programs, I do think I get the opportunity to talk, you know, in a semi-regular way about my own story as well as other people's stories. I'm primarily here for other people's stories. Mm. I'm a a journalist. I'm not here to talk about myself. But if you don't know anything about me, then I think it's a less authentic exchange, and I, that's my view. So mm. I think journalists who bring their full selves are better journalists because we all have um, life experience and biases which affect what we're interested in. And I don't think there's a shame in that. Bias that actually um, skews facts, that's not journalism. Yeah. That's, that's crap, right? I'm talking about why am I interested in sexual harassment? Well, because I think it's an important issue. But also, yeah, I have experienced sexual harassment. Mm. Why do I think that issues around um, dealing with homophobia from a really young age are important? Well, because I was crippled by what homophobia did to me. This is real stuff for some of us. It's not, 
you know, in the absence of a lived experience. And I think when your audience knows that that, that is part of your story, then they actually probably understand where you're coming from. Mm. And I think that's a really good way to do journalism, actually. I think you should. And if it's better than being compartmentalised and not being honest about those things. You should always be honest with people about every motivation of yours, right? Mm. That is a real exchange and that's what I do. So I, I bring my full self to work. Yes, I'm queer. Um, I'm not going to tell you I'm not queer because I am queer. So, you know, I'd be lying, wouldn't I? I'd be in the closet and that's not what I am. Uh, and does that sexuality define everything about me? Of course not. Like I, I would be, I have been invited on feminist podcasts. I have been invited on things about Greek Australians. I have many hats and identities mm. right? and experiences. You know, being a mum, uh, being a journalist, just being a civilian, living through another potential lockdown. These are all the things which make you somebody. And all of those experiences, I think, um, you know, we should seek to be really honest about if we want to be our, our best and most authentic selves. Mm, I love it. I am imagining, and this is me uh, just making an inference and pushing it onto you, you're one of the very, very, very few people on planet Earth who had an opportunity to be a journalist during a time where your community's rights were really up for debate. So you were on television during the marriage equality vote where you had to really play the role of journalist and, and guide people who were having a, a debate about the subject. And I'm really interested because there are definitely young people who are going to be moving into the workforce who are listening to these conversations and wondering how much of me do I bring? How do I ensure I don't get overly passionate or angry about a subject when I'm here to do a job? And I'm really interested for you how you did or did not prep for that intensity of, wow, this conversation, these people who completely disagree with my lifestyle or the future of my community's ability to marry, how you would be so calm. I mean, that's just me to you. I mean, I watched you. I've watched all the interviews before this and I was like, damn, I don't know how she is just sitting there letting people talk about her, quite literally, you. Yeah. Well, there was a process um, that I went through, absolutely. Um, so, you know, I'm a very good compartmentalizer. Um, if you ask people very close to me, maybe too good. Because mm. uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, like with anything that you can w make positive, there's a negative sting to it too, right? So I can really divorce myself. I go through almost an emotional process where I can remove myself from things. Mm. And sometimes you need to do that. So during that postal survey, I had a job to serve, which was I am a national radio presenter, not employed by the gay and lesbian community, but by employed by the Australian taxpayer. And the Australian taxpayer is having a vote, um, whether we think that's right or wrong. I mean, I personally thought it was unnecessary. Everyone knows that. I think that. Mm. But that's irrelevant. We're having one. People had the right to vote in that vote and they had the right to hear everyone's arguments and they had the right to hear them fairly and uh, and robustly. So I tried to do that in a fair, robust way. And I'm very proud of myself for not only doing it in a fair and robust way, but I think everyone did get the chance to uh, say what they had to say, but also be scrutinised equally. And did that have an impact on, I've said this before, I've said it in an ABC piece, um, it did have an impact on on me emotionally. Uh, I did it and I did it well, I think, but that doesn't mean it didn't have an impact on me. It did have an impact on me. Sure. It had an impact on my children, had an impact on our family. It wasn't a positive time for me in my life or the people around me. Remember, like you, a lot of my friends are queer, so everyone was not enjoying that time. It was not enjoyable, mm. um, but we got through it and uh, that's we're a pretty resilient community, right? Like I... My kids found it harder than me because they've grown up in a world where gay is normal. I grew up in a world where gay was not normal. Mm. So for me, I probably was sadly more familiar with those themes than my kids were. My kids found it really strange, um, really strange, <laughs> whereas I was like, yeah, this is what it – and I've, had, I've said, to my, I'd said to my daughter just the other day when I was talking to her about social change – I said to her, when I was 18 and I came out, I said, the idea that I would be able to marry my partner was not even 
uh, one, not even a fantasy. Mm. I did. Ne- I never thought that could would ever happen with the social attitudes around me. I just never thought it would happen. And then in 20 years it did. And I was saying this to her because we're passionate supporters of Aboriginal reconciliation and I said to her, so in 20 years things can change dramatically, mm. right? And never to lose hope because that's what she's very passionate about, reconciling in this country. And I said, if we could do that, if this country could change like that and that mum and I b- broadly feel pretty comfortable in our community now, then other things can change too. Because I don't think we should all be obsessed with ourselves. Like I don't walk around with my sexuality hat all the time. I think about other people who are consistently um, discriminated against in this country, Mm. not just me, but others. And there are many. Do you think in the future, uh, thinking about your 18-year-old self in 20 years, that people should have to come out at all? Oh, no, I don't. And already some of that's happening a little bit, right? Ah, like I had this conversation with my, my, my kid. I don't know, we're talking about one of her mates or whatever. Like we're just talking broadly. And I asked some really dumb, outdated 1996 question mm-hmm. about, oh, do you think they're gay? Or something really dumb. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I know it's dumb because of how she looked at me. And she said, what? I, I don't know. Like we're just like. I don't know, we like girls and boys. What are you talking about? Oh. And I was like, oh, my God, she doesn't, oh. <laughs> <laughs> it's happening. She it's doesn't happening. even, it's happening. Oh, my. And I then I had to backtrack and explain to her that I'm a dinosaur and that for me it was in or out and it was this really binary thing how we started this conversation. And mm. she said, oh, that's sad, like you, you loser. And I was like, yeah. Okay, so that's not happening. She goes, no, wow. no, no. No, mum, no. So do I think, I still think people are coming out. I don't mean to be too utopian just then, but I already see the way they talk about these things in Mm. their own sort of tween, teen groups, and it is way different to what we were doing in my groups. And I'm just like, the kids, they're all right. Just let them be in charge and uh, they are totally less homophobic than me. Mm. And I'm their gay mother. I get the sense that there's a lot of young people who are just looking at everyone, imagining everyone is bisexual or pansexual, and they just put that out into the world in their head, and therefore they're less, they're, they're not stepping on minefields because they're just being broad, right? They're saying partner, or they're saying, you know, you know, do you have someone that you want to date? And therefore it's a safer environment for young people who might be queer or any part of the alphabet that they can be their true selves. But I wonder in particular for older people, because there are absolutely people who still come out in their 20s and their 30s and their 40s, if there is safety and comfort in knowing that there are other people like you. So we're, we're looking at two different issues here. You're looking broadly at a future where we don't have to do this at all, and that's a wonderful future where we're all just accepted and no one's questioning. And then there's this other group of LGBTQI plus members who find great, great, great comfort in going, yes, that is what I am. Those thoughts I've been having all along, those troubling concerns that I don't see in the media every single day, that is it. And I find comfort in that. I wonder what you imagine if you look into the future, like what you hope is true for LGBTQI plus individuals. Like, I don't believe in, uh, yeah, because I think those two ideas can um, interact and I'll explain what I'm what I think here, right? I I think we will always be a community, and that and a community is really important f- for belonging, for identity, for history, for rights, uh, for legacy, for finding your people, people who get you. I think that's all important. And you're right. I've I've got I have a friend that came out at forty. <laughs> like mm. people do, and did, and talks about it like coming out. That's not my language. Like because it was a switch on in or out moment. Some people do have that more binary kind of approach to it. That's cool, right? Just shouldn't be the only way, in my view. Yeah. Um, and going to a community, you know, midsummer in Melbourne or the Mardi Gras and having events and being able to join groups and all of that is really, really important. And that's the future for me, that that continues. I think that has to continue. That's really important. We can't get into a sort of, we need community spaces and places to actually, you know, build networks and understanding. It can't just be a swipe culture. Because uh, the my original point, it's so much bigger than just sex. It's not I want to find the person who is same sex so I can have sex. Mm. It is sexuality is so much deeper 
uh, for so many of us, it's about who we are um, fundamentally and deeply. So the future to me is the things we've already built, but making them better. I think we've actually built the infrastructure really well. I think the queer community is actually broadly amazing. It's a good community. It has doesn't mean it doesn't have its flaws or doesn't need to be critiqued, and we do a lot of that. Mm. But it is a good, supportive community. I've always said to some of my heterosexual friends that, you know, middle-aged women experience this kind of invisibility, right? Like you get to your early 40s, all of a sudden people are like, eh, yep. move on. Yep. Um, not if you're a lesbian. Oh. <laughs> we age and people still like us. It's, you know, I feel, I feel what I want to hug my straight female friends and I'm like, Ugh. I'm hot in our community, you know, come over to us. <laughs> yes, this so, is your it phase. Right? Yeah, we don't, we don't, we have, we have intergenerational friendships. Uh, you know, I know that when my kids go to uni, I'm going to hit, I'm going to hit the dance floor at the Mardi Gras again. And I, no one will go, she's not allowed to be here. Mm. So that is, that's like the community I'm proud to be in. Oh, I'm not going that. to be finished. I might be just starting again. There you go. Preach. That's a great place to end, but I just have to say one last thing. A lot of people who are going to be listening to this, let's be honest, are either a part of the community or they're allies looking for answers. But you work in a uh, in, your, in your job on a day-to-day basis. You experience a lot of different perspectives from a lot of different people all around our country, not just in the little bubble, like you've suggested, of a um, supportive liberal-leaning city, for example. And I'm interested in what you would say to young people who might come from a family that's not so supportive, maybe a really religious environment where, they're, where, they're, where they have a Bible on their bedstand that their mother or father put there. And they're being told not only that it's not accepting, uh, but if you are that thing, that life is not just going to be hard, it's going to be terrible. And I'm interested in you final words, looking at that young person and saying, here's what I would do. Here's what I would say. I'd say to people in that situation that that is not the real world, that you will find your people, that people are overwhelmingly going to love and support you, that there is love everywhere and that people will get you and that you just need to find your people and you need to be brave and go and seek it because it's there. And it's not some small little group. It is everywhere. I find support not just in the queer community. I find it in the straight community. I find it everywhere. And you've got to be brave and show them yourself and people will broadly welcome you with open arms. You've got to be vulnerable though and you've got to ask for help. But that that little what the scenario you've just set up, right? Mm. Sort of religious extremism, whether it's Christian or anything else, which is repressive. I mean, I, I, I grew up in that environment. Okay. I was a churchgoer. I, I grew up in that environment. So that is not divorced from my, my life. That is my life. Mm. But it, remember, like I did, even at the darkest times, I knew that God couldn't possibly not like me because I knew I was good. I knew I was doing good. I knew I wasn't bad. There was nothing bad about being different. And what kind of God wouldn't like you? What kind of God wouldn't support someone who was different? It's so bizarre to even even kind of contemplate that idea. So there is love everywhere. And I also think that, you know, while sometimes you will experience rejection from people who have really, really outdated or really, really ideological views about these things, religiously ideological, that people can change to. So I have seen really, really uh, fundamentalist people change because they realise that their kids need their love. So people can change and people should change and people should always think about, you know, how would they like to be treated? Well, listen, thank you so much. I... I I'm sure you don't wake up every single day going, I'm going to be an advocate today. Like, that is who I am. I'm stepping on to do my job and I'm going to impact and change the world. But I, I will say on behalf of the community to get the chance to see someone like you, a member of our community um, at the highest level, doing national television, interviewing at that caliber. Um, it's an advocate to me, I think, especially as a parent, to get to see someone rocking and cruising with such pride like you do. So thank you. Thank you for coming. Thank you for talking. Thank you for sharing. Um, 
Where can people find you? Well, I'm on the ABC News channel at 4pm every day and then I host Radio National Drive at 6pm every night. Weeknight, of course, is weekends I hang out with my kids. And I also co-host the Party Room podcast with Frank Kelly, which we put out every week and we talk about politics and then I'm everywhere. I'm like, you know, at Pat's Carvelis on Twitter. I'm... Well, you said thanks for sharing. And as they, as you learn when you send your kids to preschool, sharing is caring. Mm. And that's why I share, because I care. Amazing. Thank you so much. <sighs> okay, we did it. How are you guys? How are you feeling? I know that this episode could have brought up some interesting feelings for some of you. And if it did, there are some resources that I think you should check out. So Minus 18 is the first one. They're Australia's LGBTQIA plus charity. They have a bunch of great resources online. They hold wonderful events and they also offer trainings for classroom and workplaces around sexuality, gender, and creating a safe space for LGBTQIA plus people. They're also all over social. Uh, you can follow them at minus one eight youth and you spell out one eight. And their website is minus one eight dot org dot au. But they are not a helpline. So if you're looking for support in that way, you can call QLife. They're at 1-800-184-527. They offer a free phone service every day from 3 p.m. to midnight. Um, so if you want to talk to someone about your gender, your sexuality, your identity, relationships, any feelings, that's a perfect place. But if you're feeling really anxious and you're not up to talking on the phone, that's fine. They do have a web chat at qlife.org.au. Lifeline is also available 24 hours a day for crisis support and suicide prevention. So their number is 13 11 14. If you want to be part of the Come Out Wherever You Are community, you can follow us on Instagram at Kawa Podcast. That's C-O-W-Y-A Podcast. And you can also follow me. Uh, my handle is at Sean Zepps. That's S-E-A-N-S-Z-E-P-S. Come Out Wherever You Are is a community. And I want as many people within this community, the LGBTQIA plus people, allies, friends, curious folks, I want everyone to have access to this powerful network of people. And the best way for that to happen is for you to share. So if you like this, you can share a link in your group chat, text message, put it on your Instagram story, a little swipe up link, do whatever you want to help get the message out there. Come Out Wherever You Are is presented by me and me alone. No one helped me in the creation of the show. I'm kidding. (laughs) My name is Sean Zepps, but there are three wonderful people that we need to shout out. Um, My producer, my number one, Lindsey Green, our executive producer, Jennifer Goggin, and our audio producer is Darcy Thompson. Listener.